Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. The Apostle Paul's two letters to the church in Thessalonica may be considered his earliest writings. They're also significant in that they represent his fellowship to new believers. For the church in Thessalonica was made up almost exclusively of young people whom Paul personally preached the gospel to less than a year before he wrote this first letter. Acts chapter 16 gives us the account of how the church in Thessalonica came into being. In chapter 16 of Acts, beginning at verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul during the night. A certain man, a Macedonian, was standing and entreating him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we immediately endeavored to go forth into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to announce the gospel to them. And now jumping to chapter 17. And they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews and a man. And according to his custom, Paul went into them. And on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, opening and setting before them that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this is the Christ, the Jesus whom I announced to you. And some of them were persuaded and were joined to Paul and Silas, as well as a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and of the chief women, not a few. And so a church was born, and Francis Ball is here to help celebrate that occasion. Francis, welcome back to the program. I am really happy to be here for this, Chris. I am really rather excited about the simplicity of this epistle of Paul to the early church in Thessalonica a young church that really was cared for by the apostle. I think any group of Christians hearing this message would be greatly encouraged, not just today's message, but the whole epistle. It's a a tender even account that not many of the churches that are referred to in the New Testament have the account of their origin recorded in the New Testament, but Thessalonica stands out in that way, and we do get the sense, this picture of a very young church, a lot of women, which is typical in many churches, some of high social standing, but the preponderance of the believers there were young people who had responded to Paul's preaching the gospel over this three-week period in a little less than a month, and then he was on his way, and now less than a year later, he is writing to really uh, build up, strengthen, and encourage this church that has had a, a pretty solid beginning, it seems, doesn't it? It seems that that is the real case here, and uh, it's not that Paul was there holding a campaign for three weeks. He was just there among them Mm -hmm. and speaking to them, uh, opening up the truth to them about God's intention, God's purpose, and God's salvation, and they were caught. And as a result, there was a church there that he could visit less than a year after that occasion. Wow. Well, let's look now at the first couple of verses, the first three to be exact, of this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We thank God always concerning all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, 
remembering unceasingly your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father. A tender, intimate quality to this greeting that he sends them as he prepares to write this first epistle. Well, let's join Witness Lee Francis as we have our first message now. We're, uh, for those who were with us recently as we completed our last live study, which was in the Old Testament book of First and Second Samuel, uh, we go back uh, several years now. They will notice a younger, more vigorous-sounding Witness Lee, his voice stronger, uh, physically obviously much stronger, but in spirit the same quality. And he will peel back the peel and expose the riches. Even in these first simple verses Mm -hmm. that you said are intimate and sweet, actually, there's a lot, as you alluded to, conveyed in these first simple verses. Yes. All right, here's Witness Lee. These two epistles may be considered the uh, earliest writings of the Apostle Paul. We know Thessalonica is a city in Macedonia. In Acts 16, Paul received the Macedonian call. Then after that, he crossed the agency from Asia Manor to the eastern part of Europe. And he arrived firstly at Philippi. So there was a good church raised up. We all know we have a book to the uh, church in Philippi. But that book was written much later than the two Thessalonians. These two books were written in the early days where Paul was still on his journey. After Paul stayed in Thessalonica for less than one month, According to Acts, we could see Paul worked there for three Sabbaths. That means about three weeks. No doubt, the church there was a very young one, a young church. I doubt they uh, have got into a full year of the church life, probably less than one year. So, in these two epistles, we could see some of the points which have never been covered in other epistles because the church is so young. If you would just take care of the background of these two books, you will be much helped because these two books were not written to experienced old Christians. No, they were written to the uh, young believers, believers who were typically Gentiles, unbelievers, and who were saved less than one year. These two are the only epistles which could render us some kind of points concerning the young Christian life. This is very very precious. Francis, um, I like the story of how Paul even initiated or was propelled to go to Thessalonica. If you go back in Acts chapter 16, he is considering going into one region 
and in Asia and the Holy Spirit forbid him to speak in that region. And then he's going to go into Bithynia. And then it says the spirit of Jesus forbade him. And then this vision of this man who asks him, compels him really to come into Macedonia. And that's, of course, where Thessalonica is located in that region. So this was the Lord's direct activity over Paul's missionary journey. I think it was his second journey here that he's on. And then we're presented with this church full of young people, and really of all Paul's epistles, these are the only two, First and Second Thessalonians, really written to believers in this kind of category, new believers, young in the faith and probably in their uh, human age as well. So what we see in this book, it seems, or in these books, it, it must be considered as very foundational and important for a proper beginning. Well, as I began to look this over again, Chris, I have to agree exactly with what you've said. This seems to be such a tender, loving care of the apostle for these new believers whom he had come to know just less than a year before and had preached the gospel to them and brought them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And now they were meeting as the church, and he's going to them now, speaking to them as the church in Thessalonica. I think this is marvelous, and it's not that they are divided over this and that and uh, arguing about Judaism or any kind of religion. They are really there to enjoy Christ, and that's what Paul is bringing, the enjoyment of Christ and the assurance of their faith being solid and their hope being genuine. Yeah, you just uh, alluded to a couple of points that will be uh, dominant, I think, for the rest of the program. And we see them in these first couple of verses that I read from Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Just a couple of phrases, that, and they're the kind of phrases that we tend to gloss over, especially when we're beginning the reading of a new book, I think, in the Bible. I think our view is that these were probably not throwaway words, but not words of great import or significance, and Paul was just being pleasant. Mm-hmm. So we tend to kind of rush through them. But actually, by focusing on them, as we will hear Witness Lee now in the coming two portions, we realize that these are not insignificant words. He refers to them as the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's important to note, and we'll just point out and then talk about after Witness Lee comes back, Francis, that he didn't just say in God and in mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. I think we've uh, given them enough of a clue. Let's listen to Witness Lee, and Good. then we'll come back and talk about this point. The opening of the writing is not that deep and complicated, right? Just say Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. <laughs> the expression is simple, yet still Paul's writing never misses his uh, characteristic. And the characteristic of Paul's writing is the organic union. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, this little preposition in bears such a unique characteristic. The church is something composed with human beings, yet it is something in the triune God. When we were regenerated, that rebirth brought us into an organic union with God. We have obtained God's life. 
God becomes no more merely our creator, our God, but he becomes our father. Here it says the church is not only in God the Father, but also in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul inserted the Father after God, and he inserted the Lord before Jesus Christ. To say in God is not sufficient. To say in Jesus Christ is neither sufficient. Why? When Jesus Christ is merely Jesus Christ, yet not your Lord, that means you have nothing to do with him. But when Jesus Christ becomes your Lord, you got into him. You are organically united to him. This is why we all have to call Lord Jesus. First Corinthians 12, 3 says, when you call Lord Jesus, you are in the Spirit. And the Spirit honors this. Even now, when you just say, Lord Jesus, don't you feel it in? There's some anointing there. It is the same. When you cry, Abba, Father, some anointing there. So you could see here, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Francis, as we uh, were speaking, this book being written to these new believers, this young church must be foundational, must be basic, and right off the bat we're presented with two very basic items, the organic union mm-hmm. and uh what marvelous little truth contained in this verse he quoted or re- referred to in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. How do these things fit together? I really marvel at this kind of utterance, this kind of writing. For years, I never heard any such term as organic union in relation to our knowing Christ as our Savior. But this makes it very clear that God is not only our creator, but by the new birth, he became our father. Amen. Or we know him as our father. Right. And then not just say Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. To call him Lord really indicates that we are in an organic union with him. That is, we are in a life relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, and once you know him as Lord, you are able to say, Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, you're not able to say, Lord Jesus, in a reality until you do know him and take him as your Lord. So that's the reason I believe he said in the First Corinthians that no man can say, Lord Jesus, but in the Holy Spirit. Because when you say, Lord, you spontaneously become one with him in a living way. You're organically one with the Lord Jesus. Mm. That's really marvelous, isn't it? Even as you said it, as ones who have been not just purchased, redeemed by Christ, but indwelt by him, Mm -hmm. he's now resident within us. That's what constitutes this Lord uh, relationship or our acknowledging him as Lord. And then the mere utterance of the phrase, whether we say God, our Father, or 
our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a response, isn't there, within? The, the Spirit yes. uh, joins in there, and it just brings light to our inner being and, and illuminates our innermost parts, and there's a sensation that there is something intimate and, in a very real sense, spiritually speaking, organic here. That's right. We have such a union with Christ and such a union with God as our Father that when we address God as our Father or we address Jesus Christ as Lord, there is a response within us that gives evidence that there is a life within us that's very much the same as what He is. Yeah. We have the same life that He is to us. Wow. Verse 3, I read the first three verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but verses 2 and 3 points out something that we want to come back to. We thank God concerning all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, remembering unceasingly your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father. So there's that dual acknowledgement again, Lord Jesus and God the Father. But it these three phrases particularly, these these three pairs, work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope, mm-hmm. how important these are to new believers and to all believers. I think with Paul's approach to this and the fact that it's so spontaneously uttered by him shows that he has these people really in his heart. This little church was really in the heart of the apostle. And when he's addressing them, he's not coming to them as some wonderful person with a lot of authority over them, but really coming to them in such a loving way and, I would say, congratulating them concerning the work of faith and uh, the labor of love and the endurance of hope. These three terms really captured my attention. I hope they capture the attention of our listeners because they're the focus of this last portion. Let's go back to Witness Lee. The apostle gives thanks to God for three things, for the work of your faith and the labor of your love and the endurance of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Christian work must be of the nature of faith, not the nature of human knowledge, not the nature of human ability. No, it has to be the strength of faith. And the labor is of love. Our Christian work eventually becomes a kind of labor. Not so shallow, not so easy. Just faith is not adequate. Love lasts long. You mothers take care of your children. This raising up of children is not merely a work. It's eventually a labor, right? You mothers just have the love. Love is the uh, motivation to take care of your children. Christian work, firstly, is a work of faith. Then it becomes a labor of love. And also, eventually, is an endurance of hope. All you mothers do know, you begin with work, and you go to labor, and eventually what you need is endurance. You have to endure 
all the troubles your children gave you. In、uh, the second commandment, what we saw there, we saw nothing but the endurance of the apostle Paul. He just endured. Endurance is the top stone of your work. If you are going to be successful in shepherding others, you must exercise endurance. The endurance comes from the hope in the Lord's coming. I hope that we all could see something how to help the young believers, the new beginners, to grow in these three things: in faith, in love, and in hope. Immediately, Francis Paul、uh, brings to the attention of this young church, these young believers, the matter of their work, their labor, and their endurance, and links them to these three marvelous items, realities in the Christian life: faith, love, and hope. Pick up this point for us as we close today. These are really the keynotes of the Christian life. We begin by faith, because we have the word preached to us, and by faith we receive the word. And faith is really a gift from God. It's not something we drummed up or something we got convinced of, but it's really an element that is infused into us, so that we could even say it's the faith of Christ. It's something of Christ that put into us that causes us to believe. That's a work. A work of faith is not something that we did, but it's a working of that faith itself. And then that goes on to operate in us until we not only do something out of the faith, but it's something really of God Himself, something implanted into us,、uh-huh. and that becomes a labor. We like to、uh, serve the Lord in this way; it becomes a labor in which we like to consistently work into, and then eventually we see that this is a hope of endurance, because without hope we have no way to endure. But once we have hope, once we realize that what we're doing is genuine, is real, then regardless of how much troubles we have, or even how much opposition we have, there's still the、uh, input of endurance. There's something working in us to cause us to endure. I really treasure these three items, and feel like for this to be brought out in this little epistle of First Thessalonians is a real hope for every believer. To know that we have a work of faith, and at the beginning we go on to have a labor of love, and then we really continue because of the endurance of hope. Marvelous progression, isn't it? A, a work born of faith, which、uh, becomes or develops into a labor of love.、Mm-hmm. But at the end, of course, there's the requirement for our endurance because of the hope. The hope. That the Lord is coming, yes, and the hope that we will meet Him there, and that there is a、uh, reward awaiting all of us. How wise was this for Paul to put these young believers on such a path? Well, we just begin today this life study of First Thessalonians, and we'll continue into and do Second Thessalonians immediately following. If you'd like to get the printed life study volume that contains the studies for both books, First and Second Thessalonians, one volume, call us toll free at one eight eight eight. Life study. That's eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. I believe about thirty one messages total for the two books. Most of which are in First Thessalonians. As Second Thessalonians is a very short book,、uh, but it follows and you know, really completes this 
wonderful package that Paul was delivering to a new church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you'll join us for as many of these programs as you're able. Again, if you'd like to print in material, call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. You can hear any programs that you missed on our website. You can download and listen to them at, uh, at whatever time is convenient for you. And that website is www.lifestudy.com. And join us again tomorrow as we return for our second life study in the book of First Thessalonians. For Francis Ball and Chris Wilde, thank you very much for listening today. Millions of Christians have been strengthened in their faith through the ministry of Watchman Nee. In a recent release by Living Stream Ministry entitled The Overcoming Life, Watchman Nee sounds a call to the believers to pursue the normal Christian life that is hidden with God in Christ. The Overcoming Life is filled with truth, reverberates with hope, and brings the reader to renewed consecration. The Overcoming Life by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere. Or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788. That's 1-888-543-3788.